The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. So, good evening everyone. Welcome to the uh, BSV, the Buddha Loka Centre here in Malvern East. Nice to see some people coming out tonight. Um, very good. Um, just for anybody that may be new, um, it's the meditation session tonight. What we usually what we usually do is uh, we usually sit for maybe 40, 45 minutes. Um, and then after that, we have a question and answer session. So if you have any, you know, if you think of any questions you want to ask after the meditation session, that's a good thing. Um, is there anyone that hasn't actually ever done any meditation before? Or is everyone reasonably reasonably familiar with it? Very good. Makes my job a lot easier. I have to say less things if you all know how to do it. This is good. Okay. So if that's the case, we might get started. You can find your position to sit in. Whatever's comfortable for you. And just as a preliminary step, uh, just make sure your phones are off or your phones are on silent or on airplane mode or something like that. As we switch off our devices, we also switch off our thoughts and concerns about the world as well. Any plans or regrets or worries that you have that are lurking in the background. Just for this period of time, just decide to try to put those down for this period of time that you'll be spent meditating. Just make the determination that you try to use this time for the best of your ability. It can be a bit of a battle when you meditate. Sometimes the mind doesn't want to settle down. So just prepare yourself for that. That it may be good, it may be bad, but it doesn't really matter. What matters the most is that you're trying to improve the quality of your mind in some way. We can just start by bringing our awareness to this feeling that we have of sitting here right now in this room. Scan your attention through and notice how the body feels, all the different sensations. Any feelings of temperature or tingling or vibration or pressure. Just try to notice the body how it is right now.
Try to notice if you're holding any tension anywhere. Maybe in the shoulders or in the jaw or in the back. And if you are feeling tense in any way, just try to release that tension and let it go. And also become aware of any sounds in the room, sound of my voice, sounds that are coming from outside. You can just recognize that this is an impersonal phenomena. We have really no choice on whether we hear it or we don't hear it. But it is just something that comes and goes of its own volition. We might think of some sounds as annoying or some sounds as pleasant. But really, that's just a label that we're giving these things. They're just sound that arises and passes away. So try to make your awareness very broad. And include the sounds that you hear and the physical sensations that are coursing throughout your body.
now just settle into the meditation object that you're most comfortable with. Be that observing the sensations of the breath as it comes in and goes out, or counting the breath in pairs, or repeating a mantra in your mind. Whatever object that you usually use to meditate, just try to sustain your attention with that object.
whenever you notice the mind drifting off and becoming distracted, being pulled away by thoughts. When you do notice this, just try not to get agitated or despondent or disheartened that the mind's wandered off. It's very natural. But instead, merely just notice what the mind's run off onto. Is it boredom? Is it planning? Is it restlessness? Is it feelings of tiredness or lethargy? Is it dullness? Just notice whatever it is and try to re-establish your mind anew on your meditation object, be that the breath or a mantra. If you do notice any of these more negative mind states that arise, instead of falling into them and having yourself enveloped in them, just try to observe them from a detached state and just see them as just contents that arise in your awareness, nothing more nothing less. They're just thoughts and moods and emotions that rise for a period of time and then pass away. So if you notice them, just merely note and observe what they are and then return back to the breath.
we may notice that as we sit for these seemingly longer periods that we might start to notice some pain arising in the body. Might be pain in the waist or the knees or in the legs and the lower back. Usually when we encounter these kinds of adverse physical sensations, we have an innate reaction to want to shift our posture and change to, in order to get away from that pain in the body. But a good way to practice is to, instead of just having a kind of automatic response of wanting to move or shifting your posture, just trying to sit with it and be with this discomfort for as long as you can. and not try to move. We can put our awareness on this feeling, the adverse feeling that we're having. We can pay close attention to it and realize that It's not the solid, unitary entity of pain that we think it is, but that it is more really a mass and a cloud of sensation that arises and passes in a very swift manner. that a pain we may be having is always moving and morphing and changing. You can do another method if you start to notice that the pain is arising in your body. And instead of paying attention to the pain, In a way, just, you can also just try to ignore it. Notice the pain in your body, but make a note of, okay, there's just pain there. Doesn't really matter. My job is just to keep focused on the breath. You can try these different ways when you do experience pain in the body and see what works. And if it does get to the point where it just becomes absolutely unbearable, then it's fine, then you just move. 
but it is good to train, to push yourself a little bit. Push yourself a little bit further than what you think you're capable of. And if you can do this with the pain in your body when you're meditating, this will also start to transpire into other areas of your life.
hopefully you'll have a peaceful meditation. All the pains in the body weren't too bad. Some people are sitting for 50 minutes or whatever it was. Maybe that's a bit of a longer time, so it can be difficult for some people to yeah, stay still and sort of deal with the deal with the pains in the body, but it's very good. You're very you're all very quiet, so that's a it's a good sign. Um so yeah, now it does anyone have any questions or Apparently not. Is there anything online or? Okay. Fair enough. You'll have to put up with my rambling then. So it is a, you know, it is a, it is a good thing to actually try to, you know, the pains that we get in the body as we're uh, practicing, practicing meditation. This is actually quite a, it's a good practice to to actually work with and something that you can do. You, obviously, you don't want to go too far and just push yourself to to the, the the outer limit where you're sort of your body's breaking out in sweat and all these kinds of things. But it is it is quite a good practice to do it. Um, I I always I always think of it as that we we usually have this sort of like pain threshold that we think we have and then when we practice say for example we maybe practice meditation let's call it 20 minutes a night and then after 20 minutes we start to get these pains and it's like well this is this is the you know the 20 minute limit of pain is is the only pain that i can sort of handle and then after that i i, I definitely have to move so if you find yourself sort of getting to that level, you get to that sort of like 20 minute level and this is the usual pain where you'd like move in your seat and you'd readjust yourself. What is nice to do is just to try to go like a little bit beyond it, just a tiny bit beyond it and then just see, it's like, well, can I bear this for, you know, can I actually bear this for a little bit longer? And if you continue to do that if you continue to keep like pushing your limits like just a little bit and knowing and knowing you know if it's like way too much then you obviously can change but if you can push past it a little bit what happens is your threshold you know, builds up more and more and then you can actually sit for longer without sort of moving around and squirming around and all these kinds of things it's because usually what we tend to think most of the time when we get to that point where like the pain's in the body and it's like I, I, I can't bear this anymore I have to move it's it's this strange sort of like oxymoronic situation that you find yourself in is that you still haven't moved and you think I can't bear this thing anymore but actually right in that moment you are putting up with it you are bearing it you still haven't moved so it's like you just have to see how many more of those moments can I bear, can I bear them a little bit, you know, another moment and then another moment and then another moment. If you can do that, you actually do fine. You can, you know, get through this uh, a lot better. And what you'll, if you sort of like, you know, like really go for it, what you'll actually find is that the pain comes in waves. So you might say, for example, you start to get a pain in your knee and it's like there's a 
pain arises there and it's like it's getting bad it's getting you know, it's, it's getting hot it's getting it's, it's really really getting sore but if you do actually sit there and go through it it'll come it'll sort of stay there and it'll, it'll be there for a while and it'll feel like a long time the worse the pain feels the longer it feels like it's there but what actually happens is it does just subside by itself and it's actually this really freeing feeling that you have of like oh actually this thing just goes away by itself i didn't you know i didn't i didn't actually have to do anything about it gives you this confidence um and gives you this sort of pride in yourself that you can get through these things and it can actually make your mind calmer when the when the pain sort of subsides again but the you know the rub with all this is that it it comes back again it comes back again later and it's uh, the the next time that it comes back it's a bit worse and it's like okay no i I can't i I can't do this one and yeah you just have to move or whatever but then there's if you start doing really really long sits you know multiple hours kind of sits this happens a lot it'll go up and it'll go down and go up and down it'll come it'll go until it gets to the point where it just sort of feels like you're body's about to smash to pieces and it's like I, I can't do this and you got sweat drenched out of you and it's like the whole sort of like body's shaking of like just move 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 and you're not doing it and even that actually goes away so there's always another level you can push yourself to but again you know you have to you have to know your own levels of um um, if it's just sort of something that is too much for you to handle, it's fine. Just move. There's no big deal. Um, but you'd, you'd actually, you know, you'd be quite surprised actually what you can, what you can uh, uh, go through. And, and just as a caveat to that as well, there is a, there is a difference between uh, pains that come up when you're actually meditating and you know, sustained physical problems that you do have. If you have a torn meniscus and you like sit down and fold your legs and it's like, wow, my leg's really in pain, but I should, you know, Ajahn Sadro said to just push through it. It's like, no, don't push through that pain. That's just, that's just, that, that's not going to get any better. That's, that pain's always going to be there. So, but it's more these pains that we get that come up from meditation when, that when we sit, when we sit, they just start to arise. And then as soon as we move, they go away. These are more of the pains that I'm actually talking about. And these are the ones that are, quite good for training in that you if you can learn to go through them it makes your meditation better you can sit for longer it makes your it can make your mind calmer and it also builds a lot of resilience in your own practice and that you know that that flows over into your life as well you start to be able to uh, you know, bear more suffering in the world as well because you can if you can sort of if you can sit there with your whole body feeling like it's on fire and like not move, you like there's not too many things in the world that, that worry you that much after that. It's like, well, I've, you know, I've, I've felt the sort of the, 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 the pain in the body with it, that it's sort of about to explode. If I can get through that, then, you know, this, you know, I don't know, this, this guy that's like, you know, taking his time in front of the, like in the, in the 10 items or less checkout or whatever it is, it's just not that big of a deal. So yeah, it's a good thing. Any questions? Anything on there or? Um, 
There is one question, Ajahn, thank you. Um, how will be a well-trained mind according to Buddhism, according to Buddhism? Or what is a well-trained mind, I guess, is the question. Yeah. It depends on the level, I guess. Um, you know, you can have a very sort of, uh, you know, a very sort of entry-level, well-trained mind. And this is a mind that has started to do some kind of meditation and you're starting to practice some form of meditation. And you're at least just starting to realize that, okay, well, this, this whole mind thing, my thoughts, it just runs off and I can notice that it actually runs off sometimes and then I can pull it back. I can pull it back and runs off again and I pull it back. And so this is, you could say, like the entry-level, well-trained mind. And this brings about, you could say this is something that more brings about like a level of realizing that there's a problem there in in your mind and in your in your life you know if you can start to realize that the mind's wandered off somewhere and then it's sort of gone into some kind of negative thought <coughs> and then you can pull it back and you get out of that you start to realize it's like oh hang on all these problems that are in my mind this is most of this is self-made and so that starts to bring about a kind of a kind of insight and a kind of understanding and it's it's a um this is this is a kind of uh, a clarity of insight into your own mind and the problem is in your own mind and that is freeing to some extent but that's really just like a first level kind of understanding when you can train the mind more with practicing things like practicing uh, uh single pointed concentration on developing a lot of stillness in the mind that's when the mind starts to drop away a lot of these external, uh, you know, external objects, the, the thoughts and the, you know, the uh, sensory input that you might feel. And then the mind becomes very, very still and very calm, can become very radiant. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of joy, there's a lot of happiness, there's a lot of um, stillness and clarity and peace that arises in the mind at that time. And this is, you could say, the happiness and the contentment from samadhi. Um, and so this is really, really good. It's really, really encouraging when you actually can do this and you can uh, not only do this once or twice, but you can do it reasonably regularly. This is something that brings about <coughs> a lot of, you know, a lot of kindness and a lot of happiness into you, into, just into your daily life. But again, that's just, you know, that's another layer of, of contentment or happiness in the well-trained mind. But when you start to, you know, develop these things and develop a very, very still mind and then you start to look into the nature of your own mind and you see that it's something that is merely just this kind of, this, 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 this illusory passing phenomena that you know you build this whole story of your life and this thing that this thing that you think that you actually are that you aren't and this is just this appearance in your mind and when you become sort of free of that narrative illusion this brings about the the kind of greatest kind of stillness that you could possibly get this is the greatest kind of happiness this is the greatest kind of freedom that you can actually get 
Um, and then even like deeper from that and something that, you know, I'm sort of not there yet is when you start to move into this kind of these different levels of enlightenment and where you start to really eradicate any kind of greed, hatred or delusion in the mind. And, you know, delusion uh, in Buddhism, what we call avijja, which is like the ignorance, misunderstanding that, that you know, that our existence is permanent, uh, permanent, uh, it's involved with happiness and that there is a self there. If we can get rid of this illusion, the Buddha said that this is the highest kind of happiness that we can get, we can actually get. Um, this is a, a happiness that's unsurpassed because there's no more wanting for anything. There's no more craving for anything. There's no more. Uh, there's no more being. There's no more becoming. There's no more wanting something more. Um, and this is the Buddha said that this is the highest kind of happiness because it's the highest kind of stillness that we can have. So that would be the well-trained mind at its at its you could say like its highest level and you know that's you know in essence what we're like what we're going for when we're practicing there's one last question yep or one more question from online ajan from pat yep um when deep in meditation the body appears to disappear mm. and i only see the chest moving up and down mm. and see emptiness mm. Should I start to investigate and do I need to limit the investigation time and then come back again? If the mind has sort of like dropped into that level of stillness, it's not something that you, uh, it's not something you want to try to force your way out of. It's just, it'll stay there. It'll rest. It's like, you know, it's it's a bad analogy, but it's like if you go to sleep. Um, if you go to sleep, uh, to get a full sleep, you just continue to sleep until you actually just wake up yourself automatically. Um, with uh, these different kinds of uh, going into samadhi, it, it's sort of the same. You have to just let it rest there. So however long the mind actually stays still, you just let it stay in that spot. And so even if... Even if everything else like drops away, it's you know it can be a little bit terrifying at the start, but it's it's you, know, you get you do actually do get used to it. <coughs> and so there's no need to try to if you start to feel like you're getting some kind of calm in the mind, there's no need to go. Oh, okay, I need to pull myself out of that, and I need to investigate more. I need to I need to. Now that I've got some calm, I should investigate impermanent suffering and not self or whatever. Or I have to, you know, investigate my mind or whatever it is. Just let it rest for a period of time. And if you can just let it rest, when it does start to move out, you'll sort of, you'll start to feel like you're very rested. You'll start to feel like you're very, that your your clarity of insight is a lot sharper. And then you can move into investigating different you know different aspects of phenomena but there's no need to try to like push it out there's you could say you could say in the kind of modern forms of meditation teachings a lot of times it's it's dissuaded from it's like if you get some kind of samadhi you get some kind of stillness 
don't, you know, don't worry about it. Go back to investigating the feelings or, you know, don't, don't get samadhi. It's like, you'll just get lost in samadhi. It's, it's, it's not really a very, a very good teaching. It's like, well, if you actually can get lost in samadhi and you can actually get these deep levels of samadhi, this is a really good thing. And this is a rare thing. So it's like most of the time that the, the states that people are saying don't get lost in, it's like you haven't got enough to get lost in anyway. Your mind isn't that strong yet. So develop that skill a little bit more. Um, continue with it because these kinds of deep and calmer states, these are the these are the things that keep you going. These are the things that you start to realize that, well, this is the benefit of meditation. This is the benefit that I actually get from this. And these are the things that, you know, when it, you know, later at another time starts to not go so well, it's like, I actually know, but I remember these really good and peaceful mind states that I can get so I can, you know, still have encouragement to keep going. So don't be scared of these things. Don't sort of, you know, maybe listen to some teachings of like, oh, well, I've, I'm starting to get some calm in the mind, but I, you know, I should be investigating. I should be doing these kinds of things. You know, actually just try to actually get some calm, try to get some peace. This is a, you know, probably the most worthwhile thing you can do. And, you know, if you can get, if you're going to get addicted to peace, that's, that's much better than being addicted to like the, the ramblings of your own mind. So like go for that one. It's much better. Thank you, Ajahn. Uh, there's one more question that's come in. High levels of physical pain in life mm. frequently cause addictive craving for relief from food or diet soft drinks. Mm. Um, how can we take refuge in practice instead of seeking comfort in sense pleasures? So high level pain leads to more soft drink consumption? Uh, there's a connection there. Yes. Okay. Okay. Cool. Mm -hmm. uh, now I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of extrapolate this out as and maybe like generalize unless they want to clarify that that uh, sometimes when we have like discomfort in our lives we start to move towards trying to fill that discomfort by using delicious kinds of foods, sweet kinds of foods as a as a way to sort of compensate for that suffering that we go through. I'm I'm hoping I'm interpreting that question reasonably wrong right so like this is you know obvi obviously like any you know any any like doctor or any nutritionist will tell you that like this is not a good thing and 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 actually most like four-year-olds now will tell you that's not a that's not a good thing for you to eat lollies and all these kinds of chocolates and all these kinds of things and it's, it's so it's not a it's you know not a not a striking fact that we you know shouldn't sort of get involved involved in like uh using these as a crux but at times you know like the reason we use it is because it works like you feel bad you feel terrible uh, and so you have like a piece of chocolate cake and it sort of elevates your mood in some way and so you know it it does work the reason we do do these things is because they do work but uh, it's you could say it only sort of like temporarily fixes the problem. So if you, I'm not sort of like railing against it totally. It's like if there is sort of like something going on and you just can't like you just sort of 
totally can't cope with something and you're trying to meditate or whatever or you're trying to change the quality of a mind and it's not actually working it's like well you know if you if you if really just sort of having a piece of chocolate cake will sort of like steer you back on course there's you know there's nothing wrong with that but the problem comes about is when we start to habitually use these things all the time as the as the cure for whatever kind of suffering that we're actually having so you don't want to be actually getting into some kind of habit of having some kind of pain <coughs> come up in the mind and then going okay well i need sugary you know I, I need sugary drinks or whatever it is to alleviate that try to try to recognize this process as it's happening when this when this kind of uh, problem or suffering or physical pain comes up and you start to become aware of that and see that then then you start to realize it's like oh well this is usually the point that i start to crave for the sugary drinks or whatever it is and so if you can watch that process a little bit more you can at least be aware what's happening and then you can choose to follow it or not follow it if you're aware of the process and you're starting to think okay like a sugary drink would be great now i've got this pain in my stomach or whatever it is it's like you can you at least have a bit more autonomy to actually choose whether to actually have the drink or not and you know sometimes you have it sometimes you won't and but those times that you don't have it this will start to give you a bit of encouragement um and so if you can do this this is this is a good thing but then also you know potentially uh putting another kind of habit in place of that sugary drink if you start to feel bad um and you're having some sort of pain then you usually go for the sugary drink you try to find something else that gives you that kind of uh change of state I, I don't know what that might be it might be something different for everyone it might be i don't know yeah yeah i don't know maybe they do a push-up or something i don't know what causes most people joy so but if you just find something else or read a book or something or if you can find something else to replace that sort of negative kind of behavior um, then that's going you're going to have a lot more success if you just try to not do that thing then your willpower isn't going to last out very long you have to actually replace that kind of negative behavior of having the soft drinks or whatever with some kind of positive behavior hopefully that answers the question thank you Ajahn. are there any questions in the room There is one more question that's come in. Um, this should be a very quick one for you, Ajahn. Cool. What is wisdom? That's a, that's a quick one. <laughs> um, the Buddha talked. Was it the Buddha or was it the commentaries? Well, you know, just generally in Buddhism, uh, we talk about uh, different levels of wisdom. Um, uh, and what we usually mean by that is there's a, there's a kind of wisdom that comes about through the, you could say like a very base level of wisdom that comes about through, uh, like learning or hearing, hearing the teachings in some way, or say, for example, like reading a book or something like that. 
this is this is like one level of wisdom. So you could say this is, in a way, this is more like like developing a, a, a reasonable level of intelligence with something. And then the next level of wisdom that we talk about in Buddhism is something that we come about through contemplating and using our own logic and reasoning to look at something that's within our existence and then trying to understand it in that way. Obviously, you can use the kind of wisdom that you've developed from reading and hearing the teachings, but then you you actually really bring those teachings inside and you recollect on them or you reflect on them a lot yourself. And this is, you could say, like the next layer of wisdom and then the uh, you you could say the the best layer of wisdom that you can possibly get is actually through training your mind and doing some kind of meditation. And if you've done the first two levels of you know learning and listening, and then also uh, reflecting and analyzing and contemplating yourself, when you actually do do the meditation, that will make that wisdom and that understanding a lot deeper. Um, and we say usually in in uh, you know in our form of Buddhism that the best kind of wisdom that you can get is from meditation because this is actually something where you're you know understanding something about your own experience without you know, seemingly without having to rely on too many sort of concepts that your constructs that you've learned from somewhere else you're not just like parroting the teachings or something it's something that you've uh, that has arisen in your own mind and you've understood in your own mind so those are the you could say like the three kinds of wisdoms that we have in buddhism and, and then there's you could say like the ultimate kind of wisdom whereby you have uh, wisdom and insight and understand fully the four noble truths and if you fully understand the four noble truths this is the you could say like the highest kind of wisdom that you can actually have Again, not just understanding the Four Noble Truths in terms of those three levels of hearing about it or reading about it or learning about it or just about uh, like from, from uh, contemplating and analysing the Four Noble Truths, but actually really realising them and having them become clear within your heart through a practice like meditation. That's, that would be like the highest kind of wisdom in Buddhism. Thank you very much, Ajahn. That was the last question. Cool. We're pretty much on time as well. So, yeah. If there's no more, no more quick questions in the room. Nope. Good. Okay, good. Very good. Okay. Thank you again all for coming. It's really nice to see some people. So we'll close out now by just paying respects to the Buddha Dhamma Sangha.